Would you grab a Bible and turn with me this morning to Jeremiah 27 in the Old Testament as you're turning there. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. My wife, Nicole, and I have been looking forward to today for a long time. Uh, it is good to be with Josh and Andrea. We love them dearly. I want you to know uh, your pastor is one of the godliest and most trustworthy men on the planet. And I mean that. I know a lot of pastors. I speak in a lot of places. Uh, and he is one of the three men that I trust with all my heart, with anything taking place in my life, the hardest things. He's the, one of the men that I would call and share with and trust that matter with. Uh, so when God called Josh to this church, I was really mad at you. I hated you. We miss him back in Texas. I'm just kidding. I hope some of you are like, is he being serious? Right now, he half serious. But it's good to be with you this morning, and I hope you know the treasure you have in the pastor that God has entrusted to you. This morning, we're going to cover Jeremiah 27 to 39. I'm going to read the beginning of the story, and then I'm going to tell you the rest of it. So I'm going to begin reading in Jeremiah 27, verse 1. Say, I'm there if you're there. Well, the eight of us participating in the sermon shall follow along. And it says in Jeremiah 27, verse 1, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, say Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah, say Jeremiah, from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, thus the Lord said to me, make yourselves straps and yoke bars, put them on your neck, send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys, say envoys, who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, there he is again, king of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, say Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But if any nation, verse 8, or, or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed far from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. Thousands of years ago, there was an alliance of nations in the Middle East. And this alliance of nations banded together so that in, 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 in a large group, they would be strong and safe and powerful and they would prosper. This alliance of nations 
resisted God. They defied him, in fact. And this alliance of nations would build its unity and strengthen its grip on that region of the world by periodically holding summits, leadership summits. One such summit took place in the city of Jerusalem and was hosted by King Zedekiah. And to the summit, each of the kings of the various nations in the alliance sent their ambassadors or envoys. And when these envoys gathered around the meeting table to have their leadership summit to discuss strategy about how they could strengthen the alliance of their nations, they realized there was an uninvited king who had sent an uninvited envoy or ambassador to the meeting. The king of kings, God, and his ambassador, the prophet Jeremiah. And when it was time for Jeremiah to speak, here is the message he delivered from his king, God, to the other ambassadors and kings in the alliance of nations. God is the creator of the universe and the human race. Therefore, the human race and the universe belong to God. But you, O kings and nations, have been resisting the Lord, defying his authority, and so he has chosen for himself a king. And to this chosen king, God has given the nations as his heritage, their lands as his possession. This king comes from a foreign place. His name is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will come and he will invade your nations. And when he does, all who will come out and surrender to him will get to live. He will give them life. In fact, he will take them home with him to his foreign land, Babylon, and there they will live in refuge with him. On the other hand, all who will not come out and surrender to him when he invades their land, they will surely die. Well, King Zedekiah, one of the kings in this alliance, he responded to this message from God with further defiance. In fact, get a load of this. For another 10 years, Zedekiah continued to resist God. 10 years. Think about God's grace, his patience. His mercy. Zedekiah had already been resisting God, and then God sent Jeremiah, God's prophet, with this message. And then for another 10 years, Zedekiah kept resisting the Lord. At any moment in that period of time, God could have justly squished Zedekiah like a bug for his defiance of God, but God didn't because God loved Zedekiah. What grace, what patience, what mercy. Do you know that God's grace is available to all who want it? But it is not available forever. And sure enough, after 10 years, God sent his chosen king, Nebuchadnezzar, from Babylon to invade this region of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar's army surrounded Jerusalem. Now listen, the city of Jerusalem is built on top of a mountain so that there's sloping uh, sides all around. And on top of that, the walls of the city around Jerusalem are thick and tall so that when you close the gates of the city of Jerusalem, it is a seemingly impenetrable fortress. 
Nebuchadnezzar's army began to lay siege to Jerusalem, meaning they would have immediately cut off all food and medical supplies to the city and sought to poison the water supply, thereby creating instability, conflict, misery on the inside, inside the city. Meanwhile, On the outside, outside the city walls, his siege army would have begun to build siege ramps. Say siege ramps. Yeah, they would have started digging up dirt and then piling it up. And they would have built long sloping ramps all the way up to the city walls. Once those siege ramps were completed, they would have drug ancient machine weaponry up to the city walls. So imagine an ancient wagon with big ancient wheels. And built on top of this wagon is a long pillar of iron, what you might call a rod of iron. And when the siege ramps were completed, they would have drugged these wagons up to the city wall and the rod of iron would have pounded, pounded, pounded those city walls until the walls were cracked and broken and breached. And then the siege army would have invaded the city Capturing everyone, bringing mass destruction. For 18 months, Nebuchadnezzar's siege army was building siege ramps, building siege ramps, building siege ramps. Could you imagine the people of Jerusalem every day peering over the city walls? How much progress have they made? How much time do we have left? And then at the 11th hour... When Zedekiah and his people realized the siege ramps were almost completed, here come the rods of iron. In their panic, Zedekiah said, where's God's envoy? Where is he? Where's Jeremiah? Go get him. And here comes Jeremiah and and Zedekiah says, okay, tell us one more time, what does God say is fixing to happen? Jeremiah says, I already told you. Open the city gates, come out, And surrender to Nebuchadnezzar and he will let you live. He will give you life. In fact, he will take you back to his foreign land, Babylon, and you can live there in refuge with him. Or stay in here locked up behind the walls and he will breach them. And his army will come in here and no one will escape. Everyone will stand face to face, eye to eye with Nebuchadnezzar and he will light the city on fire. He will bring the fire of God on this place. Zedekiah could not bring himself to come out from behind the walls though. And God's grace to him finally ceased. And God's king Nebuchadnezzar breached the walls. And his army did flood into the city and no one escaped. And Zedekiah did have to stand face to face and eye to eye with Nebuchadnezzar. And God's judgment fire did fall on Jerusalem. As Nebuchadnezzar's troops burned it to the ground. A tragic story. An interesting story. But what in the world does that have to do with you and I? In Psalm chapter 2, we find what is called a messianic psalm. It's a psalm written hundreds of years before God's coming Messiah, and it's written about God's coming Messiah. Listen to what Psalm 2 says. It begins like this. God says, why do the nations band together to resist me? Isn't that interesting? Don't they know that I am the creator of the universe? I am the all-powerful king of kings. 
So I've chosen for myself a king, the anointed one, the Messiah, who we now know would turn out to be Jesus of Nazareth. And it says in Psalm 2 that God says, of my king, to him I've given the nations as his heritage, their lands as his possession. And he will come with a, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Are you ready? No, you're not. Listen, listen. He will come with a rod of iron. He's going to come and lay siege to the nations. You know, it's always been about the Messiah and the nations when it comes to the Bible. The Bible is the story of God's Messiah and the nations. The book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, in chapter 12, verse 3, God says to Abraham, the father of Israel, and thereby extension says to Israel, from you will come the one through whom I will bless the nations. The Messiah would come from Israel. That's Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. The Bible ends like this in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. There is this, there is this vision of heaven. And listen to this vision in heaven. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude, that's of humans, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's the Messiah, King Jesus clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's Revelation, the last book of the Bible. So from the beginning to the end, Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, the Bible has always been about King Jesus and the nations. And so it says in Psalm 2, God speaking of King Jesus, to him I've given the nations as his heritage. He will come with a rod of iron. So, O kings and nations of the world, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to come out and kiss the sun. You know, in ancient times, when you wanted to surrender to a foreign king, you would come out and bow before him, and he would extend his signet ring, and you would kiss it as your act of submission. And in Psalm 2, it says, when it comes to King Jesus, God's Messiah, who's coming to invade the nations, you ought to kiss the Son. You ought to humble yourself before King Jesus and surrender to Him. And He will let you live. He will give you eternal life. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. But it says in Psalm 2, if you do not kiss the Son, King Jesus, you will surely perish. And y'all, what we discover is that the story of Nebuchadnezzar invading Jerusalem and Zedekiah, that is a picture, God is saying, of what will happen one day when my promised Messiah comes. This is the picture of King Jesus invading the human race. Now here you and I stand 2,000 years after that invasion began. It's Christmas time, y'all. We are gearing up for Christmas, the celebration of the arrival of King Jesus in human form. And he came and he perfectly lived out God's truth. This was the invasion phase of his campaign. And after he launched his earthly ministry in adulthood, he launched it with a series of sermons that the gospels say can all be summed up with one sentence. Jesus began to preach saying, behold, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And then he performed thousands of miracles, healing, 
providing, casting out demons, raising the dead, proving he is God in human flesh, the king of kings. Then he went to the cross and he died and he was buried and he rose again on the third day. Get this, not only to pay the penalty for our resistance against God and to pay our penalty in our place so we don't have to. So we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. So that we can be given eternal life from God. That's not the only reason Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again. He also died and was buried and rose again in order to prove he also has authority over Satan and sin and death. He is the king of kings. And then he ascended back to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, get this, actually ruling over our world. Jesus Christ really is our king. And now his campaign is in the invasion, not the invasion phase, the siege phase. Say siege phase. And Jesus Christ for 2,000 years has been laying siege to the human race. Get this, through his church. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 tells us that the architect of the church, the Holy Spirit, gathers Christ's church universal. So that's all the people on planet Earth that have voluntarily come out from behind our walls and surrendered to Jesus Christ, accepting him as our king thereby being given eternal life by Jesus Christ. We, throughout planet Earth and the human race that have done that, are the church universal. The Holy Spirit's now gathering us and collecting us and organizing us into visible, identifiable, local communities of disciples called local churches, i.e. Prince Avenue Baptist Church. That through the local church, through Prince Avenue Baptist Church, Ephesians 3.10, Jesus Christ, who is the infinite manifold wisdom of God, can be made visible to the human eye. In other words, Jesus Christ is laying siege to the greater Athens, Georgia area. And the way the inhabitants of your city know it. Is Christ's army is here. Prince Avenue Baptist Church. They can see you. And Christ is calling you to build siege ramps. Siege ramps. As you lay siege to the greater Athens, Georgia area. He's calling you to build siege ramps in Boston. In Manchester. In South Asia, in Japan, these evangelism initiatives, these missions initiatives that your pastor and leadership team are rolling out to you, O army of Jesus Christ, siege ramps, siege ramps, and we are the prophetic voice of Jesus Christ. We are Jeremiah to the greater Athens area. The message of our king has not changed. You proclaim this prophetic message of King Jesus to all the inhabitants of this area. Are you ready? Voluntarily come out from behind the walls of your resistance to God. 
Come out from behind the walls of independence from God. Come out from behind the walls of pride, self-reliance, the love of money, and kiss the Son. Bow the knee to King Jesus by personally accepting Him as the King of your life. Throw wide the gates of your life, your heart, and let King Jesus come in and set up His rule and reign. But, O oh, Athens, to all who double down on their resistance to God, though His grace is available to you now, it is not forever. And He is coming again. And when He does, He is bringing the judgment fire of God on resistance against God, the lake of fire called hell. You are the prophetic voice of your king to the city. You are the siege army building siege ramps, all of which brings us to our one big truth for the morning. This is where you fit into this eternal story. Are you ready, Prince Avenue Baptist Church? You are the army of Jesus Christ commissioned to lay siege to the human race. That's who the church is. That's what the church is. The church is the army of Jesus Christ commissioned to lay siege to the human race. This is who we are. This is why we are here. This is our identity. This is our purpose. Have you ever wondered why? When you came out from behind your walls of resistance to God, and surrendered to Christ and accepted Him as your Savior and Lord, have you ever wondered why in that moment Jesus Christ didn't yank you out of this world, physically removing you from the curse of sin, pulling you back into heaven where you can get your new body and you will never feel pain or agony or suffering again? Why has He not done that? Have you ever wondered why? Because we're in the siege phase. He returned to His throne to open this window of grace to the human race, saying to his army, the church, go into all the world, go to the nations. It's always been about the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always. When my Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and you will become my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is who we are. This is why we are here. This is our identity. This is our purpose. We are the army of Jesus Christ commissioned to lay siege to the human race. This identity and purpose is our grand motivation behind everything we do as God's people, Christ church. Why do we do singlehood by God's design? Why do we do marriage and parenting and grandparenting by God's design? What is our great motivation for managing our careers, our talents, our hobbies, our earning and managing and spending of money all by God's design? Why is, why is that our great motivation? Because we are a chosen people that we may proclaim the excellence of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. This is who we are. 
This is why we are here. You are the army of Jesus Christ, commissioned to lay siege to the human race. But my brothers and sisters, we face a great challenge. We face a tremendous challenge. As sinners saved by grace, those for whom the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's humanly impossible for you and I to accept and embrace our identity and purpose in Christ. No human being can convince themselves, I exist for our Lord Jesus Christ. For us to understand this and accept this truth about us and and for us to embrace it and live it out, we require a miracle of the Holy Spirit of God to be performed upon us. And once this miracle has happened to us, once the Holy Spirit has opened our minds and hearts to understand that this is who we are in Christ, we still, as sinners saved by grace, those for whom the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, require ongoing renewal from the Spirit in this truth. We, we, we need a, a miraculous blood transfusion from the Holy Spirit which the blood of Christ has put in us so that his missionary DNA runs through our veins. We need a miracle from the Holy Spirit for us to be who Christ declared us to be. And here's the thing, as, 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 as the siege goes on, 2,000 years and counting, we begin to face challenges. We begin to be tempted by the sins of the very people to whom we're laying siege. We become tempted by their design and doctrines for sex, for singlehood, for marriage, for parenting, for managing careers, the love of money. And when we satisfy the sinful cravings of our heart, it brings sin into our hearts, and sin is one of the greatest forms of anesthesia to the spiritual heart. And we lose our identity in Christ. If it's not sin, it might be the worries of this world. (laughs) I've been married for over 20 years now. Can I just tell you something? Marriage is stinking hard. I was single before that. Can I just tell you? Singlehood is stinking hard. I now have four children at four different schools. Parenting is also stinking hard. I lead a church that plants churches all over the world. Can I just tell you, managing a career is really hard. Have you figured out yet that life under the curse of sin is hard? And as sinners saved by grace, those for whom the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, it's easy for the worries of this world to distract us, to draw us out of who we are in Christ, and we lose our identity in Him. Or if it's not the worries of this world, it's, it's getting hurt. It's getting burned. You ever been hurt in ministry? You ever been burned by a church? We forget we are an army in an act of war. And as we lay siege to hell, hell lays siege to us. 
as you as a church family lay siege to Athens, Georgia, Satan sends out battalions of demons to lay siege to you. I was raised by a green beret. My dad used to teach me how to fist fight in the backyard and I learned really early on. If you're gonna win a fight, you, rule number one is you gotta accept the reality. You're gonna get punched in the face and it's gonna hurt. If you're not willing to get punched in the face and endure that hurt and keep fighting, don't get in the ring to begin with. When you go to war, the enemy fights back. They don't just play defense, they also play offense. And as an army of Jesus Christ commissioned to lay siege to the human race, part of the sad reality is that we get hurt in the process. But when we do, sometimes we have forgotten we're an army and we're surprised by the fact we got hurt. We go into shock and we can become bitter and resentful and say, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to go AWOL. MIA. And there's any number of reasons why, as sinners saved by grace, those for whom the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, we lose our identity, that we are the army of Jesus Christ commissioned to lay siege to the nations. The only way we can embrace our identity, stay fired up about our identity, stay focused on our identity, is we literally need a miracle from the Holy Spirit of God. And he promises us this miracle. He's at all times ready to grant us this miracle. But can I remind you, my brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility in whether or not the Holy Spirit transforms us. Romans 8.11 tells us the Spirit of God alone can transform us. But Romans 8.12, the very next verse, tells us, hey, but we have a responsibility in the matter. We can't just sit there passively and assume our hurt's going to get healed. We can't just sit there passively and assume I'm going to come to understand who I am in Christ and embrace it. We can't just sit there passively and assume I'm just going to repent of sin and I'm going to go back to a fervent love of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility in whether or not the Spirit of God transforms us. And I have good news for you. The New Testament lays out for us the paradigm of renewal in the Spirit of God. The, the paradigm of renewal through the Holy Spirit so that we can be renewed in who we are in Christ. Are, are you ready? It's this paradigm your pastor and church leadership are already leading you through. Pray, give, go. Pray, give, go. Pray, give, go. It's the New Testament paradigm for renewal through the power of the Holy Spirit in who we are in Jesus Christ. His army commissioned to lay siege to the nations. The New Testament tells us, watch this, as you deliberately pray for the Spirit of God to give you this miracle, Holy Spirit, I understand up here who I am in Christ, but in here, it's not there. I confess I'm bored by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm bored by the advancement of the gospel. I'm bored when I hear this glorious truth that I exist to proclaim the excellencies of his name, of him who brought me out of darkness into the light. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do to me what I cannot do for myself. I'm asking you to transform me, change my heart, change my mind. And so you pray deliberately for the Spirit of God to give you this 
this blood transfusion. So the blood of Jesus, his DNA is running through your veins and he will do it. And you pray for the advancement of the gospel. Holy Spirit, may the gospel of my King spread to every household in the greater Athens area. May the gospel of Jesus Christ spread through Boston and Manchester and South Asia and Japan and to every place where God has called this battalion of his army called Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And as you pray for the spread of the gospel, the Spirit of God will supernaturally renew you in who you are in Christ Jesus. You just have to ask. It's yours for the taking through the Holy Spirit of God. Pray, give. When we deliberately give out of our love for Christ, to Christ, the Spirit of God miraculously transforms our hearts and minds about who we are in Christ. I love God's brilliance behind money. Listen to this, listen. By God's design, a human being instinctively gives to that which we love. If a guy finds a girl and he gets a crush on her, I mean, he likes her, it's instinct he wants to spend money on her. Ooh, I want to spend money to take her on a date. I want to buy her a gift. It's instinct to spend money on that which you love. If you fall in love with golf, it's not okay to borrow clubs. I want to spend money to get my own. I love golf. I want to buy rounds of golf. I want to buy lessons. I want to buy tickets to a golf. It's human instinct that when you fall in love with something, you just spend money on it. And then when you experience that which you purchased, and you have a rich experience with the object of your love, it deepens your heart's affections for the object of your love. You actually spend money on that girl and you take her out and you have a date and through the richness of that experience of that date, your heart says, oh, she's great. When can we do, how long do I have to wait before I can ask her out again or I'm gonna look desperate? I mean, I really wanna take her out again. That, that rich experience with her deepened my affection for her and now that my affection for her is deepened, I wanna spend money on her again. I bought a round of golf. I hit a tee shot over 300 yards straight down the middle. I want to buy another round. The richness of that experience with that which I love, golf, deepened my affection for it. It triggered I want to spend more money on it. By God's design, we are designed to spend money on that which we love. Watch, to help us fall head over heels in love with Jesus. When you come out from behind the walls and humble yourself before Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior and you come to know him through the power of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of God's word, you fall more in love with Jesus. Boom, you spend money on him. Christ says, when you give to me joyfully, sacrificially, generously, because you love me, you're going to have rich experiences with me. It's going to deepen your heart's affections for me. You're going to fall more in love with me. Boom, you're going to spend more money on me. Richer experience. Boom, you can see how money trains the heart's affections. This is why Jesus said, where your money is, that's where your heart will be. You're spending your money on that which you love. Why do you think then your pastor says, you know, we ought to take up a missions offering. We're in love with Jesus. And we want to be in love with Jesus. And we want our love for Jesus renewed. So we're instinctively already wanting to spend money on him. Let's spend it in a good way. Let's spend it in an effective way. Let's all give our money to this missions offering we're collecting for the spread of the name of Jesus Christ through the human race, that every human being may come to know King Jesus is here laying siege to you. Come out from behind the walls and surrender to him as king. 
And so as you're praying about this missions offering, out of your love for Christ, you're instinctively wanting to give. Go to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to give out of my love for you? I promise you, as you give to him, out of your love for him, the Holy Spirit will miraculously work in your heart and mind and you will fall more in love with Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Pray, give, go. The New Testament also tells us that as we evangelize, as we go on mission, the Spirit of God renews our heart for missions. One of our church's siege ramps in Houston is we knock on doors. Let me tell you something. There's not a time I'm going to the door knocking event that I'm happy. Can I just be honest with you? The whole way I'm driving there, I'm like, I don't want to do this. There's so many other things I wish I was doing. And besides... What if I knock on the door of someone I know? What if someone cusses me out? What if something crazy, what if someone called the cops on me? And so the whole way there, I'm like, I don't want to do this. But you know what happens when we're done and I'm driving home? I'm driving home like, when do we get to do this again? I'm so fired up. Have you ever been on a international mission trip? The whole time the trip's approaching, the, it's getting nearer and nearer. You're like, I don't want to do this. How, what, what is the change fee to pay for someone else's name to get on my ticket? Like, I'll pay for them. I mean, I funded it. I'll pay for them to go. I don't want to go anymore. And then you go on that trip and you come back. What happens? You're witnessing to the dog, the cat, the grass, the wall, everything you can. You're so fired up. What happened? As you evangelized, the Spirit of God supernaturally gave you a blood transfusion. The blood of Jesus reflows through your veins. His missionary DNA is now pumping through your veins. When we go for the spread of the gospel, the Spirit of God transforms our heart for who we are in Christ Jesus. Pray, give, go. It's the New Testament paradigm for renewal for who we are in Christ Jesus. So as your pastor said earlier in the service, today as a church family, you kick off your annual mission season. Here's another way of saying that. Today, this battalion of soldiers kicks off that season of renewal of who you are in Christ Jesus through deliberately praying and giving and going. So that come Jan 1, 2020, you're a new wineskin. Focus in lockstep with your king. Ready for another year of laying siege to Athens, Georgia. Ready to go and lay siege in any place on the planet and to any people group to whom Jesus Christ sends you. And it's funny that all of that in 2020 hinges on you sitting in here on Sunday mornings, praying together, Lord Jesus, would you begin to renew us in who we are, in you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, nobody looking around, we have come to our response time. This is the moment we respond to King Jesus. Christian, is your heart filled with unconfessed sin that has become anesthesia to your spiritual appetite? Have you become bored with King Jesus and his gospel and our missionary enterprise? Well, then for you, this morning can be the beginning of a time of repentance. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for this unconfessed sin in my heart. I've allowed resistance 
against you to come. I've built another wall between me and you and gotten behind it. I choose again this morning to come out from behind the wall of resistance and surrender to you by confessing this sin. Lord, I'm going to get help if I need it. You're tired of serving the Lord. It's been so many years and you're being tempted to say it's time for the young people to take over. I've done my time. Brothers and sisters, do not grow weary of doing good. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Have you been hurt? Damaged in the war? You can turn to Christ this morning for healing. Restoration. He'll miraculously heal you and put you back in the fight. As we sing, would you just talk to Christ if you need to? If you're not a Christian during this song, pastors will be here in the front to help you. If you're ready to come out from behind the walls of your resistance to God, surrender to Jesus Christ, accepting him as the king of your life. During the song, come and talk to one of the pastors in the front and let them help you. Lord Jesus, we give you this moment for your glory and for our good. Would your spirit stir up great faith in our hearts? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. You come if you need to.